Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Seven, starring Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Written by Andrew Kevin Walker and directed by David Fincher. A Fincher film, it, it's not Mank. <laughs> nope, it's not. There's Mank reference number one for the episode. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films, everybody. We are starting a new film review podcast, one that has been in the works for quite some time. And the Batman, inspired by, if we want to call it that, kind of gave us a good reason to jump headfirst into this. And I can't wait to talk about that because watching Seven, I was like, oh my gosh, like... Maybe David Fincher should watch this and be like, is there some sort of lawsuit I can make against the Batman? <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're talking about Seven from 1995. This is just a seminal psychological thriller film. One of the premier films of the 90s, in my opinion. I know you've been wanting to talk about it for a long time. I think it made your top three want to talk about list in the next hundred episodes. It might have been number one. We have a couple big ones coming up in the next not too distant future that are going to be on that list. Absolutely. Not to let too much out of the bag, but exactly. We're hitting a couple of them. Yeah. So this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm sure we got a ton to talk about. So why don't we go ahead and dive right in Uh, some more of the Thomas S Moore, uh, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey in honor of last week, Thomas Wayne in honor of this week, uh, Mills and Somerset. Uh, You know, I think those guys would have to be hard drinking after going through what they're about to go through. So cheers to you. Cheers to you. Uh, Here you go. Do you find that you get, um, you know, these bourbons that are kind of repurposed in the the wine casks? Kind of get, you know, those ones are just a little bit more forward sweeter than just a straight, you know, um, oak cask. Yes. Yeah. I think they're a little richer. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I would describe it. Sort of um, not smoky, but on the cusp of like a sweet smoky. Like a sweet peppery kind of taste? A little bit. Yeah. Because I don't want to sway people who are like, oh, it's a sweet bourbon. It must be a sweet drink. It's not. It still has a bit of a bite to it. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of like taste pepper, but yeah, smoky would be good. Yeah. This would go good with some barbecues, mm. <laughs> as a lot of bourbons we've said would. But let's go ahead and dive right into our flight question. Alrighty, for this week, why don't you go ahead and hit us with the flight question? Uh, related to the pairing that we're going to get into, obviously heavily in this episode, I asked you to give me as as unyet seen pairing in a psychological cop procedural drama um, movie of your choosing. So not recast it, but you're building the cast for a new film that fits in that space. Sure. And for your selection, you can choose anybody that it's living or dead. So we're talking the odd couple per se, but I don't want to just strictly make this buddy cop movie because that's just a little too on the nose. Sure. But kind of in that space. Okay. 
that that was interesting because I was like, it would be cool to pair a classic Hollywood actor with someone working today, and <clears throat> so I, I just instantly went to Humphrey Bogart for some reason. But then I couldn't make it in my head work with someone today, you know what I mean? The, the mentalities of the 50s just couldn't compute to an actor I, I could pick from today. So it's hard to judge chemistry there. True. So I went a little bit more modern just because I have a better kind of sense of what this could look like. And I, I really want to see this this movie. Maybe we could write it. <laughs> mm. But I want to see the, the Battle of Two Michaels. And, you know, you said Buddy Cop, but I kind of like when one's a little bit more cantankerous and... Uh, one's a little bit more hot, yeah, like a hothead, you know, youthful, and then one that's, you know, seen some things, much like today's film. I want Michael Fassbender, and I want Michael B. Jordan. Ooh. Yeah, I think they've never been in a, in a film together. Just kind of seeing those two guys spar at it, and whether that's a procedural serial killer film or something maybe more akin to Training Day, um, I'd really like to see Fassbender go kind of, you know, kind of in the gray. Yeah. And maybe Michael B. Jordan's, you know, the the Boy Scout. Yeah. But they each have their kind of hothead qualities that just makes them clash. That's a great choice. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see see those two together. I think I'd like to see that, too. Mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of comedy there, though. That's going to be maybe a touch here, but that might. It's a very serious movie. Yeah. Did you ever see the Fassbender, uh, the Snowman? I never did. I heard. I remember I wanted to. It, it, Brutal. On paper, it looked amazing. Uh, Rebecca the, Rebecca yeah. Ferguson, right. J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. I think Keaton's in that movie too. Mm. Whoa, what a bore! What just mm. what an awful movie. And that's the guy that directed "Let the Right One In," the Swedish one. Shame. And they just totally just didn't like live up to anything on the screen. So I want to give Fassbender another shot at something in that space again. Some of that Swedish stuff plays funny, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, the killing was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, adapted from the Swedish version of the same thing. For anybody that's never seen it, that yeah. television series. Buddy Cop-esque. <laughs> it, it, right. Yeah. And it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an amazing, amazing film, but also in a very seven-heavy place. Uh, and Let the Right One In. And Speaking then, of last week. Uh, Girl to Dragon Tattoo, all that stuff. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard. Remember, he was like mm-hmm. the prisoner in season three? Yeah. Pretty good. So I love that choice. I think I want to see that movie. Yeah, thank you. Cast it. Mm-hmm. Um. I am going to go classic Hollywood. Okay. And for one of them, I want tough as nails, rawhide, rough, cantankerous, Robert Mitchum. Mitchum, I was just going to say. How about that? Really? (laughs) It was like a rawhide, cantankerous. I was like, it's got to be Mitchum. Mitchum. Yeah, Mitchum. And then I want to pair him with Woody Strode. You know Woody Strode I do, yeah. Woody Strode's an interesting cat. One of the first um, black players in the NFL. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, decathlete played for the Rams in the first iteration of the Rams, uh, and then in the Grey Cup, uh, nominated for a Golden Globe, I believe, for Spartacus. But really amazing work in uh, Liberty Valance and The Professionals. Um, bit of a short role, but a good role in Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, I think those two could play really well. I don't see a lot of levity with this pairing either. Yeah, exactly. And I think this kind of fits more along the lines for me in, should we say like a French connection sort of pairing? Ooh, good. Give it a Popoy Doyle, but with a more prevalent sidekick. Um, And I think that um, Mitchum and Strode would certainly have conflict, if not animosity with each other. And, 
I think when you can get that, and we'll get into that today too with this film, mm-hmm. then it makes us care a little bit more about the characters and kind of what they're going through more so than just chasing down the bad guy or uncovering, yeah. you know, the crime in the, you know, internal affairs bureau or whatever it yeah. might be. Good choice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Mitchum. Yeah. Mitchum would be yeah, perfect for that. And I know Woody Strode from a particular film and I can't think of what it is right now, but no, yeah, that's, 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 that would certainly be a, a really great pairing. So two getting those films made. And then we talk about, uh, in, in heaven, you know, the video store that has all those movies that we wish we could have seen yours will be waiting right there. Yeah. <laughs> so you can check that out. Yeah. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive right into our review breakdown of seven. Very simple. You actually fought to get reassigned here. I've just never seen it done that way before. I thought I could do some good. Look, it would be great for me if we didn't start out kicking each other in the ball. You're calling the shots, Lieutenant. Yes. I want you to look and I want you to listen, okay? Now, I wasn't standing around guarding the Taco Bell. I've worked homicide five years. Not here. I understand that. Well, over the next seven days, Detective, you'll do me the favor of remembering that. Before we dive into the machinations of the story, I have a question I want to just ask you just to kind of get your thoughts on. So when you watch Seven, you kind of like, this kind of looks like New York City. This kind of also looks like Los Angeles. I see Chicago in there as well. I read an interesting little just anecdote in the in the Blu-ray kind of, uh, there's like a, a little booklet in there. Talking about how Kevin Walker, you know, it, it was the nameless city, the nameless metropolis. It was never meant to be a New York or an L.A. Was, they really didn't want to make, well, this cesspool, those people of L.A., wow, we live in a shit town. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but what do you think that does for the, the the story? Because to me, the setting of this film is very much a character along with John Doe and Tracy and Mills and Somerset, like this constant reign of and just disgust and rot that this city exudes like what do you what do you think of all that and not naming it can i answer with the name somerset when you hear that name doesn't it give you a feeling of late summer sundown vast sunsets yeah i think the selection of the name sunset applies for my answer to this question insofar as mills I'm sorry. Um, Morgan Freeman Mm -hmm. is running out the clock. Yeah. Literally on the eve of retirement. Mm -hmm. And Somerset sounds pleasant. Yeah. Heading off to someplace nice. Now, a lot of times we get names that reflect the character and the way they are. Like Juno's a great example. Like Quirky. Yeah. Who the hell would name their kid after a city in Alaska? Yeah. (laughs) And she's weird. And so she's weird. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, and that's a conscious decision usually that happens in the writing process. Yeah. Somerset to me, I don't know if that's a conscious decision or not, but it feels like we're drifting off into a pleasant place. The fact that the pleasant place where he's going to drift off to is in this city that seems to reign 365 and is pretty grim, not Gotham grim from last week, not entirely black the whole time, but pretty pretty dark in its own right. I think it's grimmer than Gotham, but in a... In a moral context. Oh, for sure. Okay, uh, that's fair. But I, I was aesthetically, very, I was very appreciative that there was day scenes in this movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, the sun does shine occasionally, mm-hmm. and so I, 
I think the I always thought Seattle. I don't know why it always felt like Seattle to me. Maybe because a Seattle I, feel too. Maybe because I associate it with the killing, mm-hmm. and that is a Seattle-based story. That uh, show we just talked about in the flight and the rain. Yeah. Um, the like Somerset is a cop that lives in the city of Rainville. Yeah. And when you get to Rainville, you expect certain things. Like obviously, you'll be wet. But that means your footing isn't good, mm-hmm. and that means that you're constantly going to be cold, and you're constantly going to have to dry yourself off. But I want to point to something bigger. Okay, okay so this movie is thematically heavy mm-hmm. and filled with metaphor, right? Sometimes it's very on the nose, and sometimes it's a little bit more yeah. um, subtext or subtle if you want to dig into it. If your character is constantly being washed or rinsed or dipped in water, then it's hard not to recognize that that's a cleansing or a baptismal of some 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 sort. And I think in both of these cases, with Mills and Somerset, Mills being Pitt, Somerset being Freeman, the fact that they are saturated the entirety of the film yeah. speaks to the immersion that they are being subjected to, mm-hmm. almost said subjugated to, and maybe that's the word we should use, yeah. from John Doe. They are... All in, yep. submerged. Exactly. So that's a really long answer to the city that has no name with your question. But mm-hmm. um, for some reason, the Somerset is such a stark dichotomy of what you think retirement should be and what Morgan Freeman is hoping to get when this is done. And man, he gets anything but. Well, it's a, it's very Western-like in that regard, isn't it? It sure a is. A little high noony, uh, just kind of like, I'm getting out of here. Or in high noon's case, I mean, he's getting married or and, and kind of taking a, a honeymoon for a bit. Uh, but here, I mean, it's like, yeah, literally riding off into the sunset. I just like how everyone talks so negatively about this city any chance they get. Whether that's Tracy saying, I hate it here. Uh, I looked into the schools. They're a nightmare. And he's like, what about public education? She does, Or a private education? She doesn't even want to go there. Um, and in the little clip I played, he was like, I worked homicide five years, not here. Just indicating that this is another beast altogether, this place. And when they're driving out of town to the final uh, in the finale, they pass like a city limits sign and it look there's eight million people in the city is what they've established it's just interesting it's it's the 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 city has a personality it has a pulse of evil and its morality and this is very much i think a morality tale of how people will react and not react i mean pitt's character is the epitome of that his hot-headedness and how he reacts to the situation uh to not give it a name is just is so interesting to me to leave it so mysterious that it's so unimportant to not give it a name, but it is an important part of this film is the setting. Yeah. The opening is always really striking to me too. I mean, I almost want to diagnose uh, Somerset with a bit of OCD. Mm-hmm. The way he lays out his stuff is all just neat and ordered. It made me very happy. <laughs> um, but his knife, his badge, his gun, and the way he prepares himself, um, We'll talk about the metronome here in a little bit, but Hmm. when they're investigating that first crime scene and he just, you see how invested he gets into these cases, thinking about all the elements, all the emotional factors saying, did the kids see this horrific crime? And the other cop is like, who gives a shit? He's like, we're going to be really happy to get you out of here, Somerset. Yeah. Somerset is uh, a very, I think, good natured uh, man. I think 
he has worn this city on his sleeve for what, 30 years, you imagine? Mm-hmm. He looks worn, tired, exhausted, and he's got one week left. He's got seven days left, and it's done. I mean, part of this film is him packing up his office because he's he's done with, with that already. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of moving out the old and in with the new, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But it's the setting of summer. I think it's so, his character is so important. Just he balances the emotion that Pitt is just going to wear out in the open. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He kind of keeps him as level as he possibly can. But you see how emotionally invested he gets in just a, this simple case, and then and then in the case of Seven, it's just remarkable. And Morgan Freeman coming off of to say an actor that's literally peaking like when he's like in his fifties, late fifties, early sixties. Just coming off of Shawshank Redemption the the year prior, uh, now into Seven, like this is driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, uh, this is prime Morgan Freeman, and now we're coupling that with Brad Pitt also emerging after Thelma and Louise, and he's coming off of Legends of the Fall, I think, the prior year. Mm-hmm. And now he he's the youth, and again to those, I think we talked about this in Fight Club. I mean, Brad Pitt's the pretty boy, the good looking guy. The guy can act, man, and this might be his best film. I yeah. mean, by the time we get to the end and just listen to some of these clips we'll play, this guy kills it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the emotion, the raw intensity, and then just the trauma that this guy's about to go through. This is a great pairing. Not since Lethal Weapon has there, I think, been a good cop pairing like these two guys. You know, I really appreciate about that, too, is the obvious conflict that they would play in this would be race. Yeah. And what I really appreciate is that Fincher didn't take that and use it at all. Mm-hmm. Instead, what he uses is expertise or veteranship or age and uses that versus naivete. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is such a smarter way to go. You know, I read the script and it's not specifically cast for ethnicity for either of the two cops. They just cast the best actors then. And I think that was a good choice. Now played out. And I think in some ways, the fact that they are black and white also doesn't speak to the racial, but it speaks to the right and wrong. Mm-hmm. If you want to go black and white, yeah. that John Doe sees the world through. Sure. Yeah. There are so many things that I hope we'll have a chance to get into some of them mm-hmm. as the show progresses that are worth discussing in John Doe's, <laughs> plan yeah but there's equally a number of interesting things that are worth discussing for both mills and somerset Mm -hmm. if you're about to retire yeah having just gone through that myself yeah not permanently but temporarily for the job that i was at to my new job yeah the question you think you want answered is how do i go out and what does it look like and what what was my impact with this job in particular homicide detective this last job it's almost like he really wants to just kind of coast out you know what i mean i think yeah just kind of let me not get involved in some other crazy thing before i'm about to head out give it to the young kid i'll supervise him and but i'm gone on sunday i think he realizes that there's not going to be a lot of fanfare and red carpet and rose petals or maybe even a gold watch as he leaves and i think he's okay with that because it's clear and you mentioned earlier from the metronome that alone Mm -hmm is showing that the job that he's done has taken a significant toll on him. Yeah. And that metronome is one of the tools that he's going to use to balance himself himself out 
after all of the shit that he's seen for days and days and years and years and years and deaths and deaths and criminal and criminal, it, it builds. Almost to like, like you said, to balance himself out is perfect. Because a metronome is meant to keep time while playing music. Right. Here he's got to use it to almost hypnotize himself to go to sleep, sleep. because what he hears out there is just the cacophony of police sirens and murder and rapes and whatever. And in order for me to get a good night's rest, man, I got to just like get in a Zen zone and just conk myself out. And I love it that it's the metronome. Like what a great image, a great symbol that this guy is on a pe- uh, on, on a pendulum. And after 25 years of doing that or mm-hmm. however long it's been there, yeah. you can see the why you would want to get out. That sounds you, miserable. I don't know how you could do it for 25 years. And if I was Somerset, I wouldn't want a grand send off either. Mm-hmm. Just, let me be done. Let me be done. And I think that gets to the difference that is not racial, but yeah. the black and white difference that is Mills. Because Mills is gung-ho yep. and ready to start. So I've been thinking about this a lot today. So can I give it to you? Yeah. thought about a logline for this movie because I'm wrestling with the idea of how high concept this film is. Yeah. On the eve of retirement, Detective Mills is given... One final case. Upon taking it, he'll have to decide which is the larger challenge. Okay. Solving a serial kill a serial killer's riddle before seven victims, seven unwitting victims die, mm-hmm. or managing the day-to-day maverick version of justice his new partner imbues upon his city. Yeah. That's not high concept. It doesn't roll off the tip of the tongue. It's not like it's this meets that. I mean, I mean, you could say a serial killer uses the seven deadly sins to teach a city a moral lesson. Like I don't. Think maybe that works too. It's, but it's not high concept enough to elicit like with uh, a bidding war. Let's no, no, with some films. But I think once people read this script, and it I, was be- have you ever read it? It's beautiful. Yeah, I have. I haven't read it, but we're going to talk about the process of the script and kind of how Fincher gets involved. I don't know how people don't read this and be like, bidding war. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we must make this movie. It's remarkably written. I mean, just structurally. And Shawshank I is a really well-written and beautiful script. Like, that is a really yeah. nice read. This is a really beautiful, hard script. Yeah. Challenging. And the comparisons to the Batman, I think, in this cast mm. are going to be, they're going to come up a lot. Mm-hmm. What I really appreciate about this, and the ne- we got we got to talk about this opening credit sequence next. Uh, but what I like about this film is there was a natural progression from one crime scene to this clue to get you there to sloth to this to that. Whereas Batman was like, okay, we can't figure this out. Oh, it, it, here it is on the news for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. What I wanted from the Batman was more of this: them literally going through every paper trail, actually being good detectives. And using later, illegally, uh, the book uh, uh, registry of flagged books Mm -hmm. to get them to Doe's apartment is ingenious. And I wanted more of that from the Batman. So that's just a want of Jesse's from that prior film. But Seven does it so flawlessly. And that's the screenplay. You know what I mean? That's having a plan from A to B to C to D. And these things are going to happen that get us from A to B to B to C, C to D. Andrew Kevin Walker, I mean, slays this screenplay and to his detriment and his credit could never top this. No. I mean, he did Sleepy Hollow and he's done a few other films, but can't top this movie, man. I mean, this is such a thing to like have be your magnum opus. 
there is a level of understanding that he elicits in the writing of this that is second to none. Mm-hmm. I want to defend the Batman for just a minute okay. because, which this might surprise you because this probably would be your role. Nice watch today, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it's wonder, beautiful. Wonder who got that for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, the script is really smart. Yeah. And most of the intelligence in the writing is going to come through in Somerset. Yeah. As the one that's able to decode the flagged books registry and use that as clues in order to continue the pursuit of John Doe when they seem to be stuck, Mm -hmm. is so far superior to what Batman is doing. That being said, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, as much as Batman was a detective film, I think it's worth considering that it's still a superhero film. Yeah. And so seven should be heavier and deeper and more cerebral. Mm -hmm. Batman should be, and I think this is the problem for me ultimately with that. Batman going after the Riddler is going to have a level of intelligence and uh, decoding riddles and detective work that clearly goes with that villain. The crime was too big for the Riddler in that film. Exactly. Yeah. He bit off way too more than he could chew. John Doe's is it's seven people. Take it as you will. He's not trying to expose corruption or right. a family secret. It's right. just like these people sucked. I killed them, and you're all part of my game now. It's so simple. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, we'll get away from Batman here for a second, but it's gonna come back. Uh the groundwork was there. The relationship between Gordon and mm-hmm. and Batman is similar to Somerset and Mills. Yeah. Hothead and veteran uh, police detective. Mm-hmm. It was right there for them if they wanted to do that. They took enough from Seven. I'm surprised they didn't go with that. But when I was watching this last night, I was just like, this story is just so... Each scene is so seamless. Mm-hmm. The kind of frame from the dinner at uh, Brad Pitt and Tracy's uh, uh, apartment. With the train. With, with the train, love that. We'll, we'll get there. From there, back to the defense attorneys. Uh, oh, no, to his wife uh, seeing the picture, the paintings upside down, to back to his office, the fingerprints, the the registry, to sloth. Amazing. I mean, that's, that, that's detective work. Yeah. That's how you figure out who a John Doe is. Right. But... We'll get there because uh, I want to talk about a lot of those scenes just individually. This opening credit sequence, one of the best ever. Also, uh, very I don't know in your kind of film classes, did you ever watch any like Stan Brackage, like uh, sixteen millimeter, like experimental, like you know they're all like uh-uh. silent stuff, but it's very much this. It's mm-hmm. oh yeah, this kind of hard cut, and this was kind of a late addition to the the film itself. But I like that it's it's John Doe preparing. His stuff, cipher. His 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 manifestos, cutting off the finger, uh, his finger, uh, fingerprints, and it's just so jagged and so raw and rough. And the use of nine inch nails, closer, yeah, is mm-hmm. perfect. Uh, the the way the credits come in, it's just it's a rough, raw look at what the film's gonna be, and I'm gonna take it closer to God. <laughs> How religious this film kind of is at the end of the day. Yep. This is a seven-day film. God created yep. the earth in seven days. Yep. On day seven, he rested. You know what I mean? Yep. Seven deadly sins. You know, the good and the bad. You know, I mean, John Doe is a very pious person, too. I mean, he sleeps above a neon red cross, mm-hmm. for God's sakes. Yeah. Uh, 
But that opening credit sequence, it's 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 up there for me. And that's something, you know, Fincher is just, he's great at opening. I mean, the opening one to uh, Fight Club is also really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the social network, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is almost like a Bond opening credit sequence. And he mm-hmm. used um, Immigrant Song, that remix of Immigrant Song from yeah. Zeppelin in that one. Yeah. It sets a tone, you know what I mean? It's this is I, it, the audience should at this point know this is going to be an uncomfortable ride, and I hope we're ready and prepared for what we're about to get into. Yeah, <clears throat> and we just and they jump right into it. It's day one, pits gung ho. Like let's solve this crime. Let's 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 get into it. Let's get in the weeds with these clues. And it's just it's so disgusting. This first guy, this they found him in a plate of spaghetti. Uh, yeah, this is gluttony, and he's been here you know, for a few hours now. And this guy is just like a bulbous mass. I mean, it's the blob from X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> Barbed wire tied to his le- legs and feet, for- essentially being force-fed all these cans of spaghetti to the point where he just hemorrhaged internally. Brutal. Like, it's just, and we don't see it. We're just seeing the aftermath, but just putting it all together. And I think that's what's the beauty of Seven as well is, other than the finale, we don't see... Doe, we never see the crimes in action. It's always the aftermath. But with the viewers able to kind of put, like, the images of him being force-fed spaghetti until he bursts like Monty Python, it's horrific. And that's just one of of one of the five, you know what I mean? But the lust one, I, ne- I don't want to see that on screen. <laughs> no, that's one that gets me too. Jeez, yeah. Is it bordering in the um, space of horror? I think so. A little bit, huh? And kind of, I, I've been grappling with my definition of, of horror a mm-hmm. lot the last, you know, year, just trying to better define it. Because mm-hmm. there's so many films that, you know, toy that line. And I've kind of come to a definition, whether you want to roll with me on this or not, is that horror has to have a monster, whether okay. supernatural, man-made, um, metaphysical. There has to be a tangible monster. It can't be just like an idea or like a concept. Okay. This film has it. John Doe is the monster. I think I'm with you on that. So I think this maybe I would. It's more of like a thriller, a psychological procedural thriller. But yeah, it's got traces of horror in it as well. I think so too because it's certainly horrifying to see what he's done to these people. But there's one hell of a jump scare in this film too. Mm-hmm. Um, as you get deeper into the discovery of John Doe's victims, I think you can also make the case that they get worse. Oh yeah. Now, what you just set up is terrible. Here's this morbidly obese man that clearly has been that way for a period of time. Yeah. And John Doe is going to punish him for that by making him be... More obese. (laughs) More obese to the point where he explodes. All those carbs, Matt. Yeah. Jeez. What's not overdone in this film, though, is the amount of, like, direct blood violence. Mm -hmm. But being chained to a chair... And then force fed these sp- this spaghetti, and then left for a number of days until they find him. Yeah, is really really gruesome. Yeah, and that's number one. Mm-hmm. So my goodness, where are we going to go from there? And the movie, I mean, I'm sure we could probably debate which of them is the worst, but I think each one of them, if not greater than the prior or previous, is at least shocking enough so that it feels like the stakes are being elevated. Sure. All, all eight of, or all, well, I guess eight by the end of the day, huh? All eight of the deaths in this mm-hmm. are <clears throat> like I've never seen before. Yeah. Unique. Uh, 
grim. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, just the sets and like the, the way it's shot. I mean, the, this whole just the dilapidation of this guy's place is disgusting. But this is something I guess I always forget about Seven is that they this guy's first. They kind of it's just a homicide. Got to figure out who fed this guy too much spaghetti. And Somerset's like, I'm okay. Give it to the kid. I'm out. I'm going on to this new thing. And so, or don't give it to him. He's not ready for something like this. Give him a new case. And the new case he gets is this defense attorney, Elliot Gould. No, Elliot Gould. <laughs> or is it Eli Gould? Eli Gould. Okay. It is Eli Elliot Gould. Gould is the actor. <laughs> right. Ocean's 11. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he goes to this uh, penthouse and, you know, the forensics teams, you know, Dustin for Prince. And when they, when they pull back and Richard Roundtree in this film as the DA, uh, love him in this, mm-hmm. this will be the definition of swift justice. And the camera pans back and you see greed and blood on the thing. And you're like, okay, that's interesting. And so, you know, Somerset just kind of goes about his job you know, he's ready to pack up they're, they're chipping away at his door, his name, uh, like, and he's like, Hey, can you not do that? Can you maybe wait till I'm out <laughs> or something like that? And Arlie Ermey, uh, also really good in this one as the police commissioner, I would guess what his role would be just trying to get him to play ball for a little bit longer. Like, come on, Somerset, you got one more game left in you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The, the, the ever, uh, 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 the, the coach just trying to push, push the player along. Get private just, joker there and get to get to work a little bit. Yeah. And he brings him the clue from the the autopsy of these metal plastic shavings that mm-hmm. uh, were found inside the fat man. They were fed to him. Yeah. Ooh, that's gruesome. So what does he do? Much like Batman breaking into the Riddler's apartment. Yep. They even sliced the door the same way. I was yep. like, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the way they find it hidden beneath like uh, article of like furniture. You know what I mean? Like you might have to pull up the carpet. You might have to pull up the carpet. Uh, Somerset has to pull up the... Uh, the fridge, but written behind there in, in Greece, gluttony. Yep. And it's at that point when I it, it, I love the way Freeman delivers it too. He's like, "Oh my god!" Like he knows, all, and he's a very intellectual man. We're about, and that the next scene's going to prove that mm-hmm. he knows what this means, gluttony. And oh, I'll, I'll just I'll just let him say it. Long is the way, and hard that out of hell leads up to light. It's from Milton, Paradise Lost. All right, I'm confused. It means that this is beginning. This was found behind the same refrigerator, written in Greece. There are seven deadly sins, Captain. Gluttony. Greed. Sloth. Wrath. Pride. Lust. And envy. Seven. Hold on. That's not even my desk. You can expect five more of these. Now, wait a minute. I can't get involved in this. Like, he already knows. He's like, this is a pattern killer. We've seen two. Expect five more. The next sequence is going to be like, give it to the kid. He wanted it. Let him go on the trail of the seven, the seven deadly sins killer. <clears throat> But the good nature of Somerset was like, I'm going to help him. This library sequence, very methodical. I love this little montage, series of shots, whatever this, I think it's like a montage, really. Him doing research to this classical music, um, 
the guys there know him. He goes there all the time for research, so he's very intellectual. He he knows to look for the clues beyond what's at the crime scene, mm-hmm. what it's all about. And then we see Mills doing his research and just struggling, you know, tired, exhausted, yeah. not really seeing through the gray. Um, and it makes me feel bad for Somerset, too. I mean, he's retiring, but this is his life regardless if he was retiring. I mean, no wife, no kids. He doesn't have a problem putting in the extra hours here at the library and go to sleep at 2 o'clock. You know what I mean? Like, this is a rough life this guy's lived. Lonely. Yeah, lonely. Very lonely. It poses a question, right? If this guy is so ready to retire and his job is essentially his life, what's he going to do post? Well, we're going to find out at the end he's not going to retire after all. Yeah. Because what else is there? Mm -hmm. But yeah, you do sort of feel bad for him. And then his final pairing, look, man, let's be honest. The truth is they don't get along very well at the beginning of this film. Yeah. I think that they start to make some inroads when he goes to dinner and has dinner with Tracy, Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow, and her best role. Yeah, I think so. It's like and we've been hard on Gwyneth in the past. Well, she's terrible. Talking about Iron Man and whatnot. And she's just insufferable. Is kind we're of, not burning a candle in here right now, are No, we? we're not. That's not that smell, <laughs> is it? Gross. Um, but she's really good here. I, she's really sympathetic, but you feel her mm-hmm. disdain for the job, for the city, the disgust. Like, I, I love that moment where she's, like, looking at him, like, and he's, like, and it's the gun in his holster. He's, like, oh, don't worry. I won't wear it to the table. You know what I mean? And she's, like, I can never get used to them. And he says, like, I can never get used to it either. I almost imagine that he's, like, never fired his gun before. You wouldn't think yeah. the guy that's in the library doing that kind of investigation. Probably not. Yeah. He doesn't seem, and I think this is key to the end of the film. Yeah. He doesn't seem envious, though. Yeah. He seems... Content. Yeah. And he's all too willing to serve as the wise sage with plenty of advice to help Mills Mm -hmm. grow up on the job in this really big case that they have that's very important. But never is he envious of them. I think in some ways, especially when he gives Tracy the advice that he gives her in the diner before Tracy is done in by John Doe. Mm -hmm. That's the last time we see her before he kills her. No, there's one moment that they're like embrace in bed. It's like that morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Before pride, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He gives her that advice, which is this becomes the most important thing in life, which is this, this baby that she's now pregnant with. Yeah. And you see a different side to Somerset. That might be the closest it gets to envy. Mm -hmm. But even with him, maybe towing the line of envy just a little bit. He still is, I think, doing what Doe can't, and that is acknowledging what is inside her, Mm -hmm. but doing it in a way that is gentle. Well, she lays it out on the table for him too, like, how come you're not married, William? And he's like, oh, Trace, why would you ask a guy like that question? And he's very honest. He's like, Got close once, didn't work out. And I think Somerset's figured out the clue that you can't really have those familial ties doing this job. Yeah, It's impossible. I mean, what you take home with you, the shit that they see, the hours that you work, you you wouldn't be there anyway. So I th- that makes it more sad for me, too, that he tried and failed and is perfectly willing to admit those failures. But this is the point in the film where they start to kind of start working pretty good together them kind of deducing the crime scene, what they see, and it's this picture of the defense, a Gould's wife with blood around her, like glasses. Like she needs to see something or something. So they go show her 
the crime scenes and she's all, she's a wreck. But she points out to them this painting. This is, it's upside down. It shouldn't be like this. And they're like, you positive? Yeah, positive. So what do they do? They go there again, just the progression. It's, it's perfect. Them working there. One of my favorite, you know, Brad Pitt's so good at just, if there's any shred of comedy coming from this film, it's from him and just his reactions to things. When he posts up against the table and he's like, this guy's fucking with us. You see us? This is us. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> my favorite moments in the movie. Yeah. But uh, Morgan Freeman finds the prints on the thing and like call the print lab. And we got to find out maybe this is the killer's prints. Like what, what do we hear? It says, help me uh, written in fingerprint blood or something. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of this moment too? This is just kind of so silly and we'll get into the next kill here going through the database and this can take hours and they're just obviously tired. I mean, they went to work dinner and have worked all night here, but this moment of kind of almost comedy of like when Pitt's kind of almost like leaned up against him in the sofa, kind of familial, almost like a father figure to him too. Yeah. Uh, I think he wants to show him the ropes, give him enough knowledge and information with he, all this library information. Uh, Pitt was like, I can't decipher this mm. fucking Dante. It's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> cliff notes is how he's going to do it. So he's the cliff note detective. Yeah. Opposite of what Somerset is. I can't state it enough. What a great pairing. I mean, you can, the dichotomy, the two differences between these people is it's, it's night and day, really. Well, yeah. Somerset's going to have to shepherd Mills to a more mature state. And I think the fact that he's slumped against the couch and Somerset's serving as the pillow. Yeah does certainly take on a father-like role. Um, I guess the question then is, though, does he fail with the way the film ends? Does Somerset fail, too? I don't think nobody gets a good shake in this film. I think kind of. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, uh, Because the father should be able to talk son down from the ledge in those final moments, and the nature of Doe's plan is just too good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We'll get there. I can't wait to... That's going to be a hell of a finale. Let's talk about Sloth. Okay. So the fingerprints uh, have led us to this pedophile, drug dealing, just disgusting person. Uh, we're like, is this our guy? And Somerset's like, the, it doesn't really fit the profile. I mean, from the other kills, it's much too intellectual for something of this guy's caliber, but we'll go with it. We'll see what's over there. And in this apartment, oh my God, is uh, this disgusting, dilapidated Shantate, if we want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, with a swap before dicks. This guy just kind of pinned down to a bed, tied down to this bed. Well, the thing that's always off-putting to me is the air fresheners. Just like how bad it probably smells in there. Mm-hmm. And that the fact that John Doe had to come and put in like uh, 200 of these air fresheners mm-hmm. just to keep the smell from wafting to the other apartments. Ooh, gross, yeah. And they go up to this guy and he, this, he looks like a zombie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this doesn't look like a human being. And it's, you got what you deserve, you piece of shit. And I, this is, I think, the jump scare you're referring to. This, like, death rattle, breath of life that this guy, horrific. Yeah. Oh, it, was it John C. McGinley? Yep. Freaks out, as anyone probably would, that this guy is somehow still alive. Mm-hmm. And then he starts, like, clutching on the bed. And it's like, oh, my God, get ambulance here. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Brutal, like, yeah. then, But in Sloth, can you imagine? Because what they kind of decipher here at the scene is the, the photographs. This first one was taken exactly a year to the date that we're here now. Man, the guy's been there for a year. Rough. Is this rougher than gluttony and greed? 
No, I don't know if it's rougher, but it shows how calculated uh, Doe is. He has to, that means he has to go every day, and he's got to be committed enough to continue to pay the rent and all of the things that go along with keeping that place hidden by keeping it as normal as possible. And keeping him alive enough for the discovery, right? Sheesh, yeah. Yeah. So he's like keeping him on the brink of life, but still torturing him, mm-hmm. cutting off his arm and laying the prints. This is absolutely brutal. Like, if you were alive, you you would get to the hospital, and this guy can't talk because he cut he chopped off his own tongue. He ate it. Yeah, you would just ask the doctors, "Let me die, please." Mm-hmm. There's no point in life anymore. Yeah. The doctor later was like, "If we point a flashlight in his eyes, he dive shock. <laughs> his brain's mush." Yeah. Oh, awful. But is this the first mistake that's been made by our duo here at this point? Tommy, I can hear you. Excuse me. Hey, what are you doing? Close crime scene. Get the fuck out of here. Hey, I got a right to be here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Hey! Get out I got a fucking right to be here. Get out of Fucking jerk. Jeez. Fuck you. I got your picture, man. Oh, yeah? I got your picture. Oh, yeah? Detective Mills. M-I-L-L-S. Fuck off. I'm surprised you can spell. Fuck you. How do they get here so fucking quick? They pay police for the information. And they pay well. Hey, man, I'm sorry. They piss me off. Okay. It's impressive to see a man feeding off his emotions. I mean, but that's Mills, right? That's his reaction to that is good. He's going to let his emotions get the better of him and gives him his name, almost his badge number. And from that moment, Doe's like, gotcha. I got you. Yep. Do you think... As Cal, I, Doe's smart, but I don't know if he's been this much of like a Nostradamus to see I'm going to get Mills and his wife. It's this moment, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. is like envy, wrath. I'm going to tie it in this way. Mm-hmm. You gave me a reason to, buddy. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, it's anger, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what he's going to punish him for. It's wrath. It's more wrath. Yeah. And that's what that's going to be. Vengeance, wrath. So you set that up really nicely. Mm-hmm. If you listen closely, you can hear... The Kevin Spacey voice behind there. An initial watch, though? No. no, no, of course not. Now, but yes, right? Yeah. I've seen this. How many times have you seen this movie? Oh, 20, 20 30s. Yeah, 20 yeah, I'm there too, yeah. Um. So, yeah, is it, the question was, is this the first mistake that they make? This is the big one. Mm-hmm. And this is going to put them at odds, or at least Mills at odds with, with Doe. If it's Somerset, I think Somerset has a fighting chance. But Doe is so intellectually superior. Yeah. I don't think Mills has a prayer Mm-mm. after this point. You don't know that till the end of the film, but looking back now, this is his eulogy. So there, are, these guys are like, we got to do something. We got to like mm-hmm. kind of turn the tables on this. We got to find a way to get closer to him. Like we're just, we're not getting through to enough. So Somerset has this kind of great plan. Um, I'll, I'll let him explain. I think this is it. Whether this is true or not, uh, there's got to be a shred of truth to this. A great way to, like, kind of get you closer to the enemy. The guy in the pizza parlor is a friend from the Bureau. Who's stinky man? Same for years. The FBI has been up to the library system keeping records. Mm-hmm. Assessing fines. Monitoring reading habits. Look at Certain books are flagged. Books on, say, nuclear weapons and, well, Mein Kampf. Anyone who checks out a flag book 
Has his library records fed into the FBI's computers from then on? Wait, wait, wait. How is this legal? Legal and legal. These terms don't apply. Oh, you, you can't use the information directly. It's just a useful guide. So it might sound silly, but you can't get a library card without a, an ID in a current phone book. See? So they run a list. Precisely. If you want to know who's reading Purgatory and Paradise Lost and Helter Skelter, the FBI's computers will tell us. You could give us a name. Could. Could get a name of some college student writing a term paper on 20th century crime. At least you're out of the office. What do you think of that? Awesome. Yeah. Slightly illegal, and so we kind of see, like, this is almost a little strange for Somerset to be suggesting, but he even knows in a place that's as cesspool as this nameless city is, you kind of have to bend the rules a bit. Mm-hmm. And this isn't his first time. I mean, they have their own meeting spots, the pizza parlor and the barbershop. <laughs> yeah, that's what sticks out to me. Mm-hmm. I'll break this little rule when it comes to data from the computer. But this has happened a time or two. I think that's an important moment in a lot of detective films, and that's the good has to skirt the lines of good and bad just enough to get in the mud with the pigs to catch the bad guy. Now, too much of that, and you become the bad guy. Exactly. And that's a fine line. And that's that's where training day really makes, I think, some progress too, right? Do you think Popeye Doyle's crossing the line a little bit too much? (laughs) Okay, if we're going to do it in order, then... Morgan Freeman's Somerset that's gone south has turned into Popeye Doyle, and Popeye Doyle who's gone south has turned into um, Morgan Fre- or uh, Denzel Washington in, in training day. day. Yep, Progress- Alonzo. Alonzo. There's yep. a progression there. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, he's just kind of using FBI's data. That's not that he's using it to get there just to talk to the guy. But later it becomes uh, an issue. And I was like, we need a reason to knock on this door. We can't tell him what we just did. Right. Uh, but let's get there because well, when we think about the lengths that that clue has to be uncovered. Yep. Somerset is very, very smart, mm-hmm. not even to just rattle off the names of those books, but to know that that might be, a possibility. And I mean, that narrows it down more than maybe the database does. Mm-hmm. That's just running the, well, but not by much. It's frightening. It's like, man, I, maybe I better not Google paradise lost anymore. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Boom. Yep. Jesse's flag. <laughs> but when they're reading the things and I, you just, the, the differences between the two, I mean, the writing is so smart. It's like, he knows it was Somerset knows them and Pitt is just struggling uh, tells a uh, St. Thomas Aqua something, St. Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> uh, he's mispronouncing everything, but he was like, he wrote about the seven deadly sins. What's the name? Jonathan Doe? And he's like, whatever. Let's check it out. Yeah. We get to this apartment. We're going to knock on the door. We're going to interview him, I guess, and just see, is this guy weird? Like, let's figure this out. And then who comes walking up with his groceries? Okay, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Jesse's loves in film. Uh, I like warehouse sequence action sequences. Um, mm. You know, I like good card like chase sequences, which was I was disappointed by that one in the Batman last week. I love a good on foot through a building chase yeah. sequence. Oh yeah, uh, and this one is amazing. John Doe starts shooting at them, so Mills, the hot headed Mills that he is, like I'm going after this guy. This guy shot at us. 
the ducking and diving through the apartments and Somerset just trying to keep up and trying to keep people safe. Lock your doors, lock your, hide your kids, hide your wives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the mystery of John Doe, like where the venture and crew are going through so many lengths to keep the identity a secret at this point. The hat, the cloak, shooting him from behind through, you know, reflections and shadows and depth of field. What do you think? What do you think of this? What is it? It's probably about five, six minutes. Mm-hmm. This kicks ass, man. This, it does. This is good. It's scored amazingly. It's rainy. It's disgusting. <laughs> and the end's fantastic, right? Mm. Well, when 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 Meals is running on the hoods of the cars yeah. in the streets, I'm like, this guy is determined to get him by any means. Yeah. And he falls off the like the the tra- the, the the ladder and like probably I think that's he like breaks his arm there or his wrist or something because he's in a sling the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And he's going down there, and he's like, get out of here, get out of here. And Doe clocks him with, like, a crowbar or a pipe or something. Yep. And when he walks up to him, and it's, like, the shadow in the in the reflection, and then the gun, and we don't see it. Everything's all blurred out. And the resistance from Doe to not go through with it. You know what I mean? Bigger plan. Mm-hmm. This is part of something larger. Yep. I am, what's the word? Patient enough? To wait. Whereas Mills would just, I'm going to shoot you dead right here, fucker. Like, you shot at us. Screw a court proceeding. Would you agree that at the end of this, Doe has also showed his physical superiority to Mills in comparison to Mills as well? I think they might be a little bit equal. Uh, He's certainly cerebrally superior. He's able to give good chase yeah. and put his body through some torment as well. I mean, there's that moment where he jumps over some mezzanine into like a mm-hmm. ballroom or something. Yeah. He had to have twisted his ankle when he landed or something because he's kind of limping the rest of the thing. But his his ability to just keep pushing because he doesn't want to get caught yet. Right. Yet. It's a great moment. It's So you're watching this and, again, not on first view, but with some familiarity with the film... I just found myself thinking, and Mills had no shot in this from day one. Yeah. Maybe. Okay, so we're saying maybe it's a tie physically between the two of them. Because you could, like, Kevin Spacey and Brad Pitt say, Brad Pitt's going to be the more superior character. That's why he's cast, and he should be. But the way this chase sequence plays out. Well, the way he just he's just so steadfast, you know, running yep. into the situation, that's going to, you know, not bode well for you in the end. Yeah, so. no, no. When, no. They, when they go back up to the apartment and... Uh, Man, Mills looks like shit. I mean, he's all bloody. His arms all messed up, and, and he's he's like, "I'm going to that apartment, man." And, and he's like, "We need a reason to knock on this door." Fuck a shot at us, man! And then it kicks it through. You almost because you know when you think of how the law works and court proceedings, a flub like this, and the guy gets out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they got to be smart about it, and so maybe Mills is learning a little bit from Somerset. Uh. Fudging the truth a bit because this moment where they go and they pay off just some homeless junkie down downstairs and he was doing stuff in the apartment and yeah, he I said Detective Somerset and Mills <laughs> and it was just a quick fix to say we got someone on the record that some shady shit was going on here and that's why we're going to go look in there now. Mm-hmm. Kind of genius. Kind of genius. Yeah, so I think they're starting to teach each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you preface kind of what happened in between this was... Tracy going to Somerset saying, I'm pregnant. I don't know if I want the baby. Definitely don't want it if we're going to stay here. And that line that he gives her of, 
if you don't go through with it, never tell David. Like, it'll it'll kill him. But if you do go through with it, or if you do have the baby, you spoil that kid rotten. And she kind of cries. Like, oh, that's pretty powerful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially when Somerset was like, we were close once, but... Again, the tragedy of Somerset. You know what I mean? I want more of like a prologue about, God, this guy's been through the shit. Yeah. Uh, but this, the wise knowledge he can give forth. But let's step forth into the Riddler's, I'm sorry, John Doe's apartment. It's, they took a lot from this apartment, didn't they? They really did. The manifesto, bookshelf, the dilapidation of everything, like just the planning mechanisms. It was... It the was, notebook after notebook after notebook filled with random thoughts of you know, um, stream of consciousness, morality tales. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty close to theft. Mm -hmm. Uh, even the lighting. Now I know that John Doe, you said has the cross mm -hmm. the Riddlers doesn't, but he has a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. It is. It's very, very similar. Mm -hmm. You know, copying someone can be taken as a compliment. Sure. I would expect John Doe's apartment to look exactly like it looks in this. Mm -hmm. Copying's the way to say it, but like when I when it's given to me on a platter, yeah, and it's like, would you rather watch the Batman or would you rather watch Seven? I'm picking Seven because it's it's doing all the same things but way better. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, but I'd rather watch the Batman if the Batman didn't try to be Seven. Let's. I I, I meant to bring this up last week, and I was pissed at myself that I didn't. Uh, because the way the Riddler's crimes play out are just these corrupt officials, um, and the way Seven's play out is this morality tale, and the way he kind of wraps up uh, close ties to uh, our leads uh, is what really makes the the finale like really amazing. Mm -hmm. Didn't you think that at some point the Riddler should have gotten like Alfred in a trap or Gordon? And now there's some stakes of yes. Batman's like, I can't fuck around. I need to, I need to save this guy now. For sure. Or yes. Selena, Kyle. Yes. Like, I thought that was a miss. We didn't talk about it, but I was like, at someone close to the Batman should have been like in a Riddler bomb neck or neck bomb. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, his place is obviously crazy. He contacts them, and he's really laying the groundwork. I envy you, David. I envy your 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 tenacity and whatnot. But we still have a few more sins to get through. So the next one is lust. Mm -hmm. This is brutal. Uh, is brutal. They go to this leather shop, and this guy's like, yeah, this John Doe guy contacted me, and he I made this thing for him. What it is is a strap-on knife, dagger or something. Yep. And so they go to this club. I, okay, Batman's come back. This reminded me of the Penguins Club. Yes. It's red lighting, loud music, you know, through the corridors. And they go into this thing. The woman, they don't even show it. I mean, it's just the, it, she's on, on the bed. It's all obscured. And then you see Leland Orser over here with this thing. Get somebody get this thing off me. Uh, and when they're interviewing him, and th then they, sh again, Fincher's, can we talk about Fincher for a bit? Because the last time we did was Mankin. That was terrible. Well, I wanted to, you did the research on how the screenplay got to him. I wanted to hear that bit too. Okay. So, yeah, let's yeah, let me let me talk about Fincher for a bit. So yeah. this is '95. So Fincher uh, hadn't read a screenplay in about two years. The experience on Alien Three really broke him. He said, "Quote." I would rather get colon cancer and die than ever make another movie ever again. Jesus. It was that bad. So he just don't send me anything. I don't want to read. I don't want to make. And somehow he gets the first draft of this screenplay sent to him. Now New Line is making the movie. They bought it from Walker. And you're like, this is amazing. 
I got to do this. I got to do this. So he uh, goes to the producers, Michael DeLuca or whoever's in charge of uh, New Line at that point. And they're like, I'll do it. This sounds great. And he was like, yeah, the thing is the draft we sent you is a earlier draft. Read the new draft. And the new draft doesn't have the ending. Oh, wow. It's a different version. So he was like, I'm not doing this movie unless it has that ending uh, tacked onto it. The suits don't really want to go with it's too morbid for them. Like we really rewrote it so we wouldn't go there. Thank God he said that. So enter Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, especially Brad Pitt, because Legends of the Fall had its ending readjusted after test screenings. and was like, yeah, you kind of ruined the movie mm. when we fiddled around with it too much. He was like, we'll advocate for you uh, uh, as well, Fincher. And if this ending isn't in the movie, we won't do the movie either. So all this kind of pushback that all these guys gave said, yeah, let's let's go through with it. Let's see how that goes. So crazy how he got sent an early draft and was like, yeah, I'm all excited. And then it was like, yeah, but it's not the current draft we're working on. Because tell the audience, how many times does something get rewritten on a movie? Every time. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you talked about the the call, I guess, from his agent with the script. There's always that... <laughs> on the nose sort of iconic moment of like the producer or the director poolside with his satin jacket and his swim trunks and his, you know, 15 far too young women running around and um, drinking pina coladas. Mm -hmm. David Fincher would not be there. David Fincher would be like at some dive bar. Um, I picture David Fincher in like, is like a, like a scarf and like a baseball cat, all the press, maybe at like at a subway and like, he's just like, yeah, I'll read seven. Oh, I see him with a big, with a big cigar and like a bottle of, uh, like he, a, he, he probably would have bourbon. Yeah. Cause you know what he was doing when they did the golden globes last old Forster. year? He's an old Forster guy. Yeah. Like, like 19, 19, 19, 14. What was that really strong bottle? We 20. Woo! Prohibition. There you go. Uh, when they did the Golden Globes last year, and it was kind of over Zoom, the winners, he was on a Zoom screen. He was nominated a couple times for director, writing, and pitcher, I think, and he lost all of them. So after each loss, he just took a shot. That's hilarious. <laughs> David he was like, cheers to the winners. Boom. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you're right in that regard, but... Uh, yeah, he's definitely not poolside in a sunny afternoon with a bunch of nubile co-eds running around, right? One of these days we will do Alien 3, just oh, really? for the sake of talking about the behind the scenes of it all. Because oh, that'd be fun. the fact that Fincher had the career that he had and made this film is kind of a miracle uh, that it didn't ruin Hollywood for him. Uh, so, yeah, he gets, and so the actors, uh, you know, advocate for him and and everything. And I love this quote uh, that he says he liked to, he wanted to do the movie because it kind of felt like the film William Friedkin would have done after The Exorcist. Like, yeah, just something of that vein. That's really well said. Kind of gritty, kind of disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some actor choices here. You want to kind of go through this real quick? Love to hear them. Uh, so... Andrew Kevin Walker, he was influenced by his time in New York. He didn't have a good time there, so that helped influence this screenplay. And he says, I'm thankful for that because if I had never gone there, this would have never happened. Envisioned William Hurt as Somerset while writing this. Well, I just, I don't like William Hurt Nor just in, in general, so that, that doesn't compute. Al Pacino considered for Somerset. Now, we're talking about a Pacino coming off of like Carlito's Way, so maybe... I'll take a spin with him on Insomnia, but not this film. Stallone and De Niro turned down the role of Mills. Mm. No, no, no. Denzel. Did I say De Niro? Yeah. Yeah, Denzel Washington. I don't see Stallone in that role yeah. at all. Denzel, maybe. 
that could have been pretty good. Denzel said he regretted passing. Yeah. He said he was like, that movie came out pretty good and I should have been in it. Yeah. Uh, Robert Duvall or Gene Hackman is Somerset. Hackman would have been I interesting. I see Hackman. Uh, Robert Duvall. A little too old at that point. Yeah. Hackman. But Hackman's would be nice. And that's a nice kind of juxtaposition to Popeye oh Doyle. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I'm not changing this cast. I mean, this is. Hackman and Stallone. That would have been. <laughs> Uh, Tango uh, and cash, but uh, not. I don't know. gonna go about it sloth, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd buy it. Uh, but this this is perfect. This mm-hmm. is how it needed to be. Exactly how it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. This this uh, uh, lust one. This is disgusting. This is yeah. essentially the guy fucked her to death. <laughs> Literally. That New York, that's exactly what happened. <sighs> and and I, had to and do it because he's held at gunpoint. If I didn't do it, yeah, he would have killed me. My God, brutal. And it's his wife, right? No, it's a prostitute. prostitute that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah, the disease spreading whore. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just it's disgusting. It's just and it's enough. You know, the, the restraint. The, this is what I was getting at talking about Fincher. His restraint to because they're showing the photograph like four minutes prior. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it like way late. Now we're putting it all together. We're not seeing it, but the whores the audience is putting in their mind of what took place now, piecing it all together. That's masterful filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's good. It goes back to what I was asking you with horror. That's why I asked mm-hmm. you. I think we've both agreed that a lot of times in horror, yeah, not a lot of times, pretty much all the time, less is more. Mm-hmm. The Pennywise effect, too much of Pennywise, much. and you just got to be silly. Yeah, he really has that nailed in this film. Yeah. All the way for all seven of these, mm-hmm. all the way up to the very end, mm-hmm. the eighth. You never actually see. It. You never see what's in the box. No, you see a little bit of blood stain on the box. Do you ever after, but that's right. That, I mean, that is the horror trope. And I don't think Fincher, I mean, I don't know much about his growing up, what influenced him, but boy, he sure does seem to have fingerprints or his thumb on the needle of what makes things horrifying. I don't know if I can see him in the director's chair, like James Wan doing the conjuring. Maybe, maybe, but Actually, as I think about that, maybe I can now. Eh, maybe not. Um, he does seem to understand, like, with... Because thriller and horror, I think, share some very yeah. similar aspects. Mm-hmm. And, man, he's got them nailed. Isn't it... It's, like, the only time you can also get away with show, don't tell, right? It's, like, yeah. if we showed, now we're more grotesque, and it's almost more effective that we're not seeing it, Right that we're just being told about what happened, seeing it obscured. Like it, it's the antithesis of how you're supposed to write something. Not like basic instinct. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. think Paul Verhoeven could have handled this on. film? Oh, <laughs> no way. <laughs> he's he not, hasn't made it on the show in a few months. We get him, get him in. A he's bit. not graceful enough for a film like that. Graceful enough. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think this is a year before Showgirls. I don't know. This might've come across Verhoeven. He was like, ah, it doesn't interest me. Send it to Corelco. <laughs> exactly. So we had this this one last moment, and this is kind of the calm before the storm moment. Again, the morality at play between these two characters. You're no different. You're no better. I didn't say I was different or better. I'm not. Hell, I sympathize. I, I sympathize completely. Apathy is a solution. I mean, it's, it's easier to lose yourself in drugs than it is to cope with life. Yeah. It's easier to steal what you want than it is to, to earn it. Yeah. It's easier to beat a child than it is to raise it. Hell, love costs, it takes effort and work. We are talking about people who are mentally ill. We are talking about people fucking crazy. No, no, yes. we're not. No, no. Today. We're, we're, we're talking about everyday life here. 
you, you can't afford to be this naive. Mm. There it is. See, you, you should listen to yourself. You say that the problem with people is that they don't care. So I don't care about people. It makes no sense. You know why? You, you care. You, you want to know? Damn right. And you're going to make a difference. Whatever. The point is, is that I don't think you're quitting because you believe these things you say. I don't. I think you want to believe them because you're quitting. You want me to agree with you and you want me to say, yeah, 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 you're right. It's all fucked up. It's a fucking mess. We should all go live in a fucking log cabin. But I won't. I won't say that. This is kind of interesting. Uh, the metaphor I could best describe this as is maybe someone who's stuck in the middle of the ocean, drowning, and Mills to me is someone who's, well, I can swim and keep swimming, and I'm going to find that island. Mm-hmm. The good-natured, I'm going to make a difference, or I can figure out the solution. Somerset, on the other hand, is I'm just going to dog paddle and I'm going to stay afloat and I'm going to do my best to stay afloat until it's my time to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's accepted the evils of this city. We can only do as good as we can possibly can. I believe in apathy, uh, but it's easier for these people to do these horrible things than it is to do the right thing. And Mills is like, I won't accept that because almost like a Captain America Superman, I believe in the good nature of people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think Mills is just, or, or Somerset's trying to tell him, you can't be naive to humanity. That's not, that's not how it works. So what do you think of that? I mean, that's, that's kind of a, this kind of a big moment between these guys. Well, and it's the first time in the movie that Somerset actually lets Mills have it a little bit. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the thing that sticks out also, when Mills tries to go down the road of, God damn it, I care about society. And then that lasts for about one sentence in his little line of dialogue. And then he's back to the task at hand, which is, ego yep or maybe proving his metal i guess that's ego mm-hmm. he starts to go down the road of altruistic and i look out for my fellow mankind damn right i do yeah but not enough to really like hammer that point home yeah so i think it's worth asking does he no yeah he doesn't yeah in this instance yes <laughs> yeah. he's saying it because that's what you're supposed to say yeah it's like the the age-old adage in education jesse mm-hmm. yeah well we're in, we do it for the kids mm-hmm. and then none of the decisions that are made yeah most of the time from administration mm-hmm. are for the kids. Yeah. Or when it suits a narrative and then when it doesn't, the bottom dollar, then forget it. Yeah. So, man, two different forms of philosophy here. Yeah. And one of them is really flawed. Now, I do think that Mills <clears throat> is still salvageable. Yeah. There's just a lot of training. Isn't it experience? Yeah, and sure. Years, right? Yeah. And learning me going from zero to 10, every single time one of these comes up is just going to wear me out. And you know how we might know that? Yeah. Because maybe that's why Somerset needs a metronome. He's well, That he already, he smashes in, right after this, right? Because he's done it so many times. Mm-hmm. And now this young guy mm-hmm. is taking him back to that place when he was almost out. Well, Mills is going to learn his lesson here in a bit, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so day seven, Sunday uh, we have one more sin. It's pride. I, th- I think this is the weakest one just because they don't spend a lot of time with it. It's right. a supermodel that go goes and like cuts up her face and you can, suicide. you can call for help and they can come fix you up or you can take these pills. And if you're not going to be beautiful or you, you okay with that, if you're going to look hideous, disfigured, she's not. So she kills herself. <laughs> so, uh, and there's pride written in blood. It, it, 
very beautifully shot in that thing, but they don't spend a lot of time with it because we got to get on to the next bit. So let's talk about the reveal here. I think this is really interesting, especially on first viewing. Uh, so they go back to the police station and are like, yeah, we're kind of another one. Like we're not getting any progress. And right on a platter to them, we get Mr. John Doe himself delivering to the police department. And that, that, yell, that detectives, mm-hmm. you're looking for me and blood everywhere. And it's Kevin Spacey as John Doe. Him in that position with the bloody hands kind of on knees like that. Is that crucifixion like? Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Like the very, first fall the feigning, carrying the cross, right? Yeah, the very feigning of Christ, out, arms outstretched, absolutely. Yeah. Have you seen this film since Spacey's second life was exposed? No. What did this kind of, did it kind of, this is my second time watching it since then. And uh, that initial viewing, it was interesting. It almost made John Doe more villainous. Mm-hmm. It was like the actor behind the scenes, I was like, this guy's really into it. He's a gr- good actor, but there's like almost a little bit of truth there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you find out the monster behind the scenes, how did that affect it? Did you kind of think about that at all or? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I also thought like, what a waste and what a career that has been wrecked and derailed. I, I would argue mm-hmm. in my adult viewing life, he's one of the five best actors that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is amazing. American Beauty's amazing. Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects is beyond amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some misses in there too, but you know, even Horrible Bosses for the comedic effect, even though I can't stand Charlie Day, but yeah. I do think the Kevin Spacey bit, like he's, he's, and you look at this and you think, aren't all those characters like kind of slimy though? You know what I yeah. mean? Like, well, he was good at it. That's what, yeah. Well, okay. Then we do, we, what's the political thing they did on Netflix? Hides of March. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, House of Cards. House, right? Yep. <laughs> Lex Luthor. <laughs> He's a really good villain, yep. Jesse. I yep. mean, it's hard not to look at those and then think about what he did and just say, yeah, um, <laughs> the apple doesn't fall too far. The character apple doesn't fall there. too far from the personality tree. There you go. That's how you say it. <laughs> okay. But kind of un, un, uh, un, uh, unannounced to Mills and Somerset, okay, the guy just turned himself in. Something about this doesn't feel right. What's this guy gonna do? And then enter enter in the the, the lawyer, <laughs> smarmy lawyer, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, he was like, "This guy says there's two more bodies. Uh, obviously, there's two. There's two more sins left to be completed. And if he'll tell you where they are, um, if you agree to all our terms, and if you don't, he's gonna plead insanity. The bodies will never be discovered, and that's the end of it. So it's a decision, right? It's we got the guy." Let's not have him rope us along any longer. Let's lock him up behind bars. But we do need to kind of figure out what's going on here, right? And what it's Mills, right? Let's finish this. Yeah. Let's one more. Let's just see this through, see what's going on here. And then we lock up the psycho. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what, is, what is about to happen. But they arm up. And a nice kind of moment of comedy. One of my favorite lines from the film so they're being wired, uh, putting on the bulletproof jackets and everything, and they're, they're shaving their chest because you want to electrocute yourself, catch fire. <laughs> you think you shaved off a nip- nipple would be covered by workman's comp? Yeah. Love that line. Yeah. And they'll just kind of just chuckle that they have between each other. 
this is kind of it, right? This is the calm before the storm. These two guys, I think, have kind of formed a bit of a bond and a friendship to this point. Yes. They've done a good job detecting. A good job detecting, Matt. Yeah. Uh, they've they've kind of dealt with each other's pros and cons, but they're here now, and we're close to figuring this thing out. Mm-hmm. Let's go see where John Doe's going to take us, and we got SWAT. John C. McGinley's coming along, and uh, everyone's watching. And we get in the car with John Doe, and this might be the most unsettling part of the film is when they start talking to him, and it was like, you got nothing else left to lose, John. Uh, it might be nice to know a little bit about you, where you're coming from, all this, 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 and that. And what he starts spewing out is so troubling. It's just his framework on what he's doing is in the right. I am doing society a service, and I am taking the sin and the sinners and the sinful Taking them off the checkerboard for you guys, people should be thanking me. Or you, want, I'll, I'll play the clip. Please do. Yeah, absolutely. Innocent. Is that supposed to be funny? An obese man, a disgusting man who could barely stand up. A man who, if you saw him on the street, you'd point him out to your friends so that they could join you in mocking him. A man who, if you saw him while you were eating, you wouldn't be able to finish your meal. And after him, I picked the lawyer, and you both must have secretly been thanking me for that one. Mm, this am. is a man who dedicated his life to making money by lying with every breath that he could muster to keeping murderers and rapists on the streets. Murderers. A woman. Murderers, John, like a yourself. Woman. So ugly on the inside that she couldn't bear to go on living if she couldn't be beautiful on the outside. A, a drug dealer, a, a drug-dealing pederast, actually... And let's not forget the disease-spreading whore. Only in a world this shitty could you even try to say these were innocent people and keep a straight face. But that's the point. We see a deadly sin on every street corner, in every home, and we tolerate it. We tolerate it because it's common. It's, It's trivial. Oh, God, it's hard not to agree with him. And this is kind of a bit of a Thanos thing, right? In his own mind, he's yep. right doing something good and something right. I'm, I'm balancing the checkbooks. When that happens, and it's rare, mm-hmm. that's when you get great villains. Yeah. And this is why he is. Mm-hmm. He's delivering that into Kevin Spacey's acting ability, too. Yeah. He's all in on this. Yep. He's delivering that with such passion that, you know... He almost sells me a little bit. He's, he's like, yeah, he's, he's actually some, right in a lot of that. You're making some good points. Yeah. Thanos was right too. The execution sucks in both cases because it in, involves murder. In both of those instances, I don't think it's it's justifying their morality of why they're doing the thing, but I don't think it ever kind of toys the line of now we're sympathetic to these villains. I no. think we still see them as monstrous people. Oh, sure. How they went about doing it. Um, His, his delivery... On the lawyer bit. You both must just, have been thinking of me after just, that. Yeah. yeah, they suck. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because that's what got him off too. The drug dealing pederast? The pedophile? Uh-huh. Yeah, those people suck. Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he knows how to get under Brad Pitt's skin at this point too because he's already seen it. Yep. Um, he just gets him out. And I seem to remember breaking your face. He's like, you sit back, fucking freak. You're like, you're not special. You're a fucking t-shirt. You're a movie of the week. Mm-hmm. 
no one's going to remember you because John Doe's going to like, people are going to study this for years. And he's right, man. If this was real, all the true crime podcasts and documentaries, man, they would be dissecting John Doe for years. <laughs> to the credit for the writing also, yeah. here's this really complex web that we spent two hours weaving that mm-hmm. has these layers and uh, literature and morality and clues and all of this. And they're able to, that was maybe 90 seconds that you played. They're able to, in 90 seconds, dumb that down enough so that the audience doesn't struggle with what's coming. And that is this really shocking ending. Mm-hmm. Still trying to figure out, I don't really get what John Doe's goal was. Yeah, That is being in complete control of that character. When, when what's his name, Walter? Andrew Walter? Kevin Walker. Kevin Walker. Yeah. When Walker wrote this, he knew John Doe mm-hmm. like he might know his brother yeah. or his best friend. He knows these characters so well. Mm-hmm. Whether it was on the casting couch or the character design, and that's arduously long, and you and I know, and can be very, very boring to create these three-dimensional characters out of just pieces of paper, not even like random thoughts. He, literally 90 seconds. When, it, when it's so seamless and it's so good and it seems like this... Do you think this is an easy ride? Do you think this kind of, he started and just started falling into place? Because I kind of think so. Like, he just kind of got on a roll and was just like, I see everything of how this is supposed to look. Okay, well, I have an answer for you. Okay. And that's, what's the toughest part to write? Yeah, yeah, dialogue. Second act, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The second act slag. Mm -hmm. If you use a list, like seven, Mm -hmm. you've taken care of seven of the ten beats. Mm -hmm. and And all of the second act is taken care of. Yeah. So you just know you need to get from here to here to here. And that's the beauty of like doing another one, like with the 10 commandments or the steps to resurrect somebody from the Egyptian book of the dead or anything that is a pre Uh, six infinity stones. Yeah. Yeah. I when early, early on in my writing career. um, I had a friend named, named Nancy and she wrote this script called Jesus Christ superstore. And it was essentially a televangelist launching a Walmart-like store that sold religious novelty items. That's good. (laughs) And in the process of launching this store, he breaks each of the Ten Commandments. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Genius. That's so good. Yeah, the script was really really good. Nancy, I'm sure you're not listening, but hey, Nancy, it's good. It's been many years now. It's a good script. Um, And then then he does it again. Mm -hmm. Well, there's one in there that's, I mean, thou shalt not lie, but there's one in there that's big, right? Thou shalt not kill. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a black comedy. And somehow she kept it comedic enough that that wasn't off-putting. But yeah, like that, the, could, that could have been good. Yeah. That could have been good. If you can find a list that someone hasn't already done to death. Mm-hmm. Go through the list. Yeah. It writes itself. It does. And then if you're able to really know the characters before you jump into that list, which clearly is the case here, that scene might not be that hard to write. So you probably start with the characters first then. I think you'd have Get to. Get them fleshed out, yeah. figure them out, and... We've already established that Mills and Somerset are really well thought out, but John Doe is just as thought out as, as well. Yeah. So we get out here to the middle of nowhere with these high tension wires. Again, this is why I thought, let's say New York, there's mountains and hills like this. Where are we? Like, this is just anywhere. And that's also why it's effective. And he's like, yeah, it should be happening anytime now. There's a dead dog over there. I didn't do that. Um, yeah, that was Michael Myers and his old, his pooches that he murders in Halloween. <laughs> Eat him. But here comes this van on the hill. Oh, this is strange. What's going on here? So Somerset gets in the car, goes and stops this guy. It's this like 
delivery FedEx guy saying, I was supposed to bring a package out here. It was for Detective David Mills. This guy told me to bring it out here at this time. And, okay, leave it here, but get out of here. Like, was there a bomb in this box? Like, what's going, what are we doing here? And there's a moment of contemplation between Somerset of, oh, should I wait? Should I wait for someone else to come open this? What if it kills me? I'm going to open it. There must be some sort of, like, Mandela effect of, for some viewers that claim, yeah, you see what's in the box, right? Mm-hmm. Like, after you see it, you're like, yeah, they show what's in the box. They do not. No, they don't. He opens the flaps and aghast. And he's just like, oh, my God. And doesn't say, like, the name, what he saw, and just reacts. Meanwhile, John Doe's going, I paid a little visit to your house this morning, Mr. Somerset. What'd you fucking say? And... He's already reeling him along. Like, here we go. Like, it's all in motion now. I'm going to play the clip. It's a maybe one of our longer clips, maybe about a minute and a half, minute and 40. I'm going to have to play it because this is a, just like a top 10 moment in cinema. Yeah. This is, this is good. Come on over there. Put the, put the gun I'll down. I'll show you with the box. What was in the box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, baby. It seems that envy is my sin. No, what's in the box? I'll take you, give me the what's gun. in the fucking box? Give me the gun. You just told you. You lie! You're a fucking liar! Shut up! That's what he wants. He, wa- he wants you to shoot him. No! No! You tell me, you tell me that's not true. That's not true. Become vengeance, dude. Ah, oh, she's all right. You tell me. Become wrath. Tell me she's all right! She made her a suspect, David. No! Just throw it all away, you know. No! She begged for her life, detective. Shut up! She begged for her life. Shut up. And for the life of the baby inside of her. Shut up! Even for someone, I think, if you're not a fan of these types of psychological thrillers, mind-benders, and horror films, I don't know how someone doesn't get completely sucked into this ending, just being, like, on the edge of your seat wondering, what is going to happen? Like, it's masterful. That's yeah. just, I can't find any way to describe it. Every The directing, the acting, the editing, the music, the cinematography, like, that close-up of Brad Pitt's red, crying eyes mm-hmm. going back and forth am I going to do it or not? This is perfect. It's, you can't change anything about it. The advocating to keep it in the film is just, 
incredible. It's This is one of the greatest moments in cinema just ever. Well, then to David Fincher for saying, we have to keep this in here and having the balls to say that. <clears throat> this movie... Coming off the failure of Alien 3. <laughs> this movie's still good without the ending. Mm-hmm. Not as not this kind of good. Yeah. Um, I think you reach a rare state when your ending sequence becomes kind of something that's toyed with. I see dead people, what's yeah. in the box. Yeah. Um, and it's become kind of like, I don't want to say pre-meme, but pre-meme world, something that was, what's in the box? What's in the box? Making I see fun it. of it a little bit. Yeah. Because yeah. it's so iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's nothing funny about it. No, there's nothing funny about it. Yeah. And it's a compliment in a backwards sort of way. But yeah, man. Um, what's in the box and we never see it. You'd get one little, almost like a bit of blood on one of the flaps. Um, and then they insert like a frame of Tracy right before the shot. Yeah. Like it's a quick flash and then decision made. You're dead. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. What is in the box? Is it her face? Is it her whole head? What's in there? I think it's, I think it's her the heart. I think it's the whole head. Yeah. Her whole head. Yeah. <sighs> Brutal. Brutal. And it's, I'm glad they don't show it. It's enough to just the thought, the idea of the horror of the boxes. You you put it all together yourself, much like the rest of this film is the horrific stuff is all behind the scenes. So I'm glad that they restrain in this moment as well. And it's all played out between the seven sins, the plan, and they just kind of let it ride. Now, the original intention was also to have the movie just end here with the shots, them walking away. But then we come back to that, uh, come back, uh, and they're taking Mills to get a psych evaluation, or I got, I don't know, the, his outlook, I don't even want to know. It's murder, brother. He's probably doing time. <laughs> I mean, it was, I guess, kind of justified, but in the court of the law, yeah, he's getting reprimanded, maybe losing his badge. Yeah, there's no way he's getting a fair shake But then just how there. psychologically messed up he is, I mean. It's, it's a, it's a, it doesn't even matter, because he's a basket His case. wife's head in a box. And we get Ermy and uh, Morgan Freeman being like, we'll take care of him. Don't worry. Where are you going to be? I'll be around. I'll be around, so to speak. Do you think he's leaving the force? I don't think he's leaving the force. Do you think he's sticking around? Yeah. Like, this was enough to pull him back in? Because that's even more tragic than him just writing out all messed up after this last case. Right. (laughs) He can't go away from this world. Right. He's forever trapped in it. Yeah, that's brutal. Uh, I think I like this tacked on ending. If it just ended after the shots, I'd be like, man, I'm pretty depressed. But his final, in a classic Morgan Freeman voiceover that he's so good at it, says, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is a good place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. And then we cut to black. So good. Pretty good. I kind of like that. It's a nice bit of levity baked in darkness. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's, you know, the villain wins at the end of the day. John Doe won. He won. Bad guy won. He ruined all these people, and we get a glimmer of hope on the horizon as they walk out into dusk. The bad guy won. Boy, How often so does that happen? This movie and maybe Hannibal Lecter. Uh, French Connection. Uh, yeah. What's his name getting away? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't happen often, and it's off-putting, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, just in a framework of story structure... We want to see the bad guy punished for their crime. So I can see why New Line was like, I mean, if this was made in the Hayes Code, this movie ain't getting made. Oh, yeah, no way. Because <laughs> that was one of the things was things of crime and uh, misdemeanor must be met with authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's 
to New Line saying, yeah, I mean, again, we've talked about New Line Cinema a lot with Freddy Krueger and Lord of the Rings. This studio that takes a chance on some of these ideas that are off-putting for most other film studios, to kind them. of the little indie film pseudo studio that kind of makes it happen. And yeah. I'm glad they do. Me too. So, yeah, that's... What do you think? We need a new line these days. We do. Yeah, someone... Like, A24 is kind of... Oh, yeah, of, okay. I'll, more, they're more indie taking a chance, like... Working title, maybe? Maybe. Not like the full... Not like full blown new line. Like, this movie... Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk. I'm with you on A24. They kind of do it. Yeah. The credits, they go backwards. Mm-hmm. They go down. Mm-hmm. Or, what would it be? Yeah, down. Yep. Instead of up. This movie just plays with your head, man. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Batman should have had its credits going that way, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, let me see. I, I think I had a couple just little anecdotes here. Uh, we talked about uh, only nominated for best film editing. That's kind of a crime, right? Mm-hmm. But this it's not a very Academy Award-friendly film, but it should have been. This film should have been nominated across the board. Everybody, everything in it. Cinematography, directing, writing, actor, supporting actor, mm-hmm. uh, everything. It, it deserves it. Film ed- And it didn't even win film editing, so sorry, Seven. $33 million budget, uh, $325 million gross. Yeah. That's pretty good for a movie of this type, right? Heck yeah. Uh, just this, when you see it, I mean, it has star power, but like the story, that's not something that puts butts in seats. No. So there was word of mouth. There had to have been with this one. It was like, you got to go see this thing. It's twisted. It ends. It's crazy. Did you see it when it came out? Mm-hmm. Okay. Great trailer. Mm-hmm. And I think Pitt really helped sell that film. Sure. I think that's a movie that might be a little bit off-putting for females if it's just mm-hmm. seen in its trailer. But I think Brad Pitt was a great choice because that put some Thelma and, Louis, Thelma and Louise booties in the chairs. And he's and he's good at it. He's, he's really good he's at it. He's good in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is interesting. I don't know if you knew this, but we might have to dig a little deeper. Uh, in 2005, 2007, there was a series of comic books made of this film. Each one tackled one of the sins. Oh, wow. And it was all told from John Doe's perspective. Uh, and they're, huh. they're kind of hard to find. I found some on eBay, but they're like $75 for one. <laughs> What if there's a graphic novel available somewhere? I don't know. I don't know if they ever reprinted them, but there's a slots lust one for each one, and it's how he got that person and then committed the crime. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, right? Cool. That would look good in comic book form, too. So sure. I can't remember. I don't think it was Dark Horse or any of those, but I never knew that. So that, hmm. that might be something to kind of dig into for more into the seven lore. But let's wrap this thing up. Uh, who's uh, What's your favorite tasting note of seven? What's the end? <laughs> That's, that just end sequence? Yeah, that. Watching Mills fight with himself, knowing that if he commits this this final thing, then Doe wins. But why wouldn't you? There's nothing to live for anyway. Yeah. Um, Brad Pitt's really showing some great acting mm-hmm. chops. That bit where he's going from crying to rage back and forth is fantastic. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. How about you? I mean, I said it was a top 10 cinema moment, yeah. so I better pick it, right? <laughs> How can it not be? I like that they like shot it like at golden hour. The sun's going down. Everyone's looking really haggard, but like it's golden, but grim. Like that's, it's kind of my least favorite time of the day because I hate when the sun sets because there's something ominous about that time of the day for me, especially in the fall. Maybe that's why I like Halloween so much. But you know, it's not raining. It's not raining, yeah. Because 
the no characters are done being cleansed. No we cleansing. finished. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They are as they are. That last 10, 15 minutes, the second they get there to the end, perfect. It's it's great. Uh, let's see. What's the oh my God! moment of seven? The knife dildo. Lust. Lust is brutal. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Ugh. It was just like you one thrust and I think it's over. He probably uh, thrusted Jesse, multiple times, right? Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> again. At gunpoint. I'm the audience putting, connecting the dots, right? See, that's why, again, back to that horror thing, right? The way you're envisioning is so much worse than what they could have even filmed. If that's filmed, we're both out. Yeah. That's off-putting. But in your head, you shouldn't think that, Jesse. You yeah. shouldn't think about multiple thrusts that are just shredding this poor woman. But you can't help. Yeah. That's horror. Because now you're playing out. on the subconscious. Exactly. Uncanny? Yep. I think I'm going with sloth. Mm. Something about the slow 365 day torture of this guy who yeah. sucks. Yeah. P jars, catheters, uh, bed sores, bed bugs, uh, ate his tongue, blind. The guy, he looks like a Romero zombie. Like a human being shouldn't look like that guy. And the fact that he was still alive and they take him to... Uh, someone's got to make a decision on if they're going to pull the plug or let this guy live, right? Yep. <laughs> what, are his, what do his executive orders look like? <laughs> Advanced directives. No, that's I what that you is. Meant, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> executive order. It's like a Robocop if it's a prime directive or not. <laughs> Who's the master distiller on seven? Three choices here, man, and they're all really good. Yeah, there's like... Four, five, six choices. The cinematography this is a beautifully shot film. That's true. Yeah. I'm going to go with Fincher. Um, and I'll tell you why when we get to the ratings. I'm okay. going to go with Fincher. How about you? Man. I think I'm going to go Brad Pitt. Good choice. Uh, I think it's his best acting performance. I know he won for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but that's almost one of... You've been good for so many years, man. We got to give it to you. Career achievement. How yeah. is this not even considered the arc he goes through of just the Sonny Corleone hot-headed, hot-headedness of it all on the boiling point, but has some sympathy with his wife and his new partner and then just totally caves in in the last act. Oh, it's just, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Those close-ups of him, they're forever burned in my brain. Like when this thing comes out on 4K one day, though, that's going to look incredible. His stubble. His just his red eyes, his bandages, his high spiky flat top. Mm. Yeah, he's so good in this. It's just I, I've never been that like Brad Pitt's not a good actor. The guy's a great actor. He's a great actor. Yeah. So yeah. everything I've ever seen him in. So yeah, I'm gonna give it to him. How you rating seven? Rocket, well, call single barrel and top shelf. Two <laughs> together. One, two, three. Top, top shelf, shelf. Yeah. With a bullet. <laughs> yeah. Top five films of all time for yeah. me. Um. Fincher's biggest curse as well. Yeah. Okay. Trying to replicate anything as good as this and then being pigeonholed into this type of genre. And that includes Mindhunters too. Like I didn't particularly care for that. I think you liked that more than I did. You, I couldn't even finish the first series. You really, you got to kind of keep going through that, but that's, that's not a good, that's not a good recommendation of a show. You know what I mean? He's just stuck. This is his citizen Kane. This is his sixth sense. Sure. And he has some moments after this that are nice. Like mm -hmm. he's done some, some really good work. He's kind of lost right now again a yeah, little bit. I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> he does seem to go through that pattern. So maybe there's something coming that's like the alien three pattern. I'm just going to sit here and never make another movie again. And um, that's true. He does go through like dips and dives. Yeah. Like if alien three leads to this and then like panic room leads to Zodiac, 
and then right. Mank is going to lead to something amazing, right? Maybe him and Soderbergh are hanging out together on some collaborative effort. Oh, that'd be interesting. So yeah, this is a perfect film. Yeah. It is a perfect film. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, two of my top five both have Morgan Freeman in it. Yeah. Why not? His voice is something that's mm-hmm. really special. And the, a late bloomer, you know what I mean? Like him and Ian McKellen like didn't get like big until they were like in their 60s almost. Did you ever hear the story on how he landed his first acting gig? Uh-uh. Let me tell you this. I heard it on that James Lipton show inside the actor's Ooh. studio oh, or whatever. I miss that show. I do too. Yeah. He showed up one day and he was just cutting his teeth and showed up for a casting call for like Street Thug. Okay. And he showed up and he said the room was filled with a bunch of other black males his age, about the same height, about the same build. And he thought, man, there's no way on earth I'm going to make myself stand out from these people. Yeah. So he gets into the casting audition. I guess that's just called an audition. And they give him the line. And he just, because he kind of had a, um, a bringing in a rough part of town, had a knife on him. So he walked up to the casting director, pulled the knife, held the blade to her throat and delivered the line. Mm. Guess who got the job? Yeah, him. Yep. Kind of like... You know, Carl Weathers knocking Sylvester Stallone the hell out, too. Or a little Harvey Stevens from The Omen going and kicking Richard Donner in the shin, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, you got to make yourself stick out some. You got might have to be a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, top, nuts. It's a This is an immaculate film. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, I always like to go and look at the ratings. I think the last time I checked the Rotten Tomatoes score or whatever ratings it was on cable was like, like eight, 60. Yeah. 65? I, I think it's like 82 now. Oh, that's better. Oh, it should be 100. 100. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, top shelf for me. And how's this uh, rating for you? Top shelf, perfect, masterful. That last 30 minutes is the best, some of the best moments in all of cinema. Mm-hmm. It's my third favorite Fincher film. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's two more. that Social are, Network ahead of it? Yeah. And, really? Yeah, and one other. We won't reveal that title just yet, but that's something to me about him. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of call him like almost like a modern day Stanley Kubrick. Oh yeah, that's good. They're very similar in how they make films. Uh, Fincher's notorious for the multiple. Th- he'll do like a hundred takes of something, mm-hmm. and he gets away with it more now because of digital. And there's no like wasting a film celluloid all over the place. So he's very meticulous and almost borders on perfection, like Kubrick did. Mm-hmm. His films stand out maybe a little bit more for me than Kubrick. They're they're kind of they're they're cold and distant but they're dealing with so many great themes at the same time you know what i mean weirdos in their own right and regard whether that's zuckerberg or john doe or whoever uh, tyler durden his characters really just stand out for me uh yeah the first time i saw this it just blew me away i was like this is what movies can be like screenplays can be like this <laughs> that's what got me involved in cinema the way I'm involved with it today as well. Yeah. This movie was that. Yeah. This movie. is this was a much we have to talk about seven. It's it's on the upper echelon of top films we've covered on this podcast. It's there with Empire Strikes Back and Back Jaws. to the Future and Jaws, Raiders. Alien. Alien. It's it's up it's it belong and it deserves to be up there. Yeah, yeah. it does. Off putting as hell though. I mean you leave the theater and you're like, yeah, I guess let's go to Applebee's <laughs> <laughs> You know, this film was such an iconic film that it spawned um, a copycat version of these episodic crime dramas mm-hmm. that a lot of them had Morgan Freeman in there and continued. And they're just get collectively worse from Kiss the Girls Along and Along Came the Spider and yeah. all that. They just get worse and worse. Yeah. But uh, you and I both like this cop thriller, and this is the apex of that moment. Apex. Yeah. Uh, this is it. 
Excellent power. Well, let's wrap this up with a nightcap. In honor of Mr. David Fincher and tying this all back to the Batman, Mm -hmm. Fincher has to have been in conversation for a superhero project at some point in his career. And he probably just wasn't right for him. But his aesthetic, the way he makes films, not including the Batman, what do you think is a superhero property that he would just slay? I think we're both going to have the same one here. Maybe. We'll see. Is yours in the Marvel Universe? Uh, Well, I I have a few. I'm curious to hear what you say. Daredevil. Oh, okay. Daredevil. Yeah. Uh, came to me. Right I'm away. biased right because away. I love that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, something interstellar like cosmic doesn't work. It needs to be ground level. Uh, you could maybe go with heroes for hire, sure. um, yeah. but it's Daredevil for me. I think that that is as no brainer as I could possibly get. I mean, he get back to the streets, right? Yeah. Like much like this film. And I think a little bit brooding and Daredevil does have a bit of a brooding feel with... Um, that character is kind of sad. I mean, they all sort of are really when you get to why they're superheroes. But yeah, no, it's Daredevil. I'm and dying to hear what you got. We want Charlie Cox, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not Ben Affleck. Not Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent. I had a couple. I, I just want maybe I'll bounce them off you and just kind of hear what you say. Uh, I think we were in agreement that Black Widow wasn't the best movie. Kind of a that best Ben Cloud City finale was stupid. Stupid. Him doing like an espionage kind of spy thriller. Yeah. Kind of. Fits. So him doing Black Widow or Nick Fury Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that could be kind of fun. Okay. I kind of toyed around with the Hulk a little bit. I mean, the mm. Hulk's problematic just on screen. Yeah. But in Fincher's hands, I mean, he could really get into, like, the pathos and the Jekyll Hyde aspect of Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Better than I think anyone has done thus far. Okay. But the one that I think would kind of suit him, and everyone keeps trying to maybe, whether it's Tarantino, they're all toying around with, like, how could we bring this character back to a film that was done in the early 90s that I liked, and it's not a good movie, uh, The Shadow. Oh. Someone that exists in the shadow, so I think of cinematography and what Seven looks like, someone who uses his powers to cloud men's minds, Mm -hmm. a vigilante of kind of Batman-esque proportions. I, I tried to get in that Batman space, but how to not do Batman. Uh, so yeah, I went with the, the Shadow. I think that that's kind of an interesting character. Oh, the Shadow knows. And if it was like period, like maybe 40s, I mean, he, want, he, he that was the good part of Mank. Mm-hmm. It looked like 40s Hollywood. You're right. That movie was shit though. Yeah. So if he did that, but with the Shadow, that could be, that could be kind of good. Good choice. Yeah, so I like there it. There we go. I don't know if he'll ever do it though. He, 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 appears to pick his projects very carefully. Yeah. Much like Christopher Nolan or, you know, Ridley Scott, even mm. though Ridley Scott is 83 and makes two movies a year now. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the hell? Part of the machine. Crazy. This came out this week. He's doing Napoleon, a Napoleon mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. with uh, Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon. Yep. They just revealed the first photo of, like, uh, of Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon. I'm like, God, how does Scott have the energy, man? <laughs> Anyway, oh, this has been a lot of fun. This cask is just is going to kick ass. And coming to you next week, churning things along with some more messed up serial killers and messed up people, kind of procedural in its own right as well. 
one of the big five to <clears throat> win the big five Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. That's pitcher, director, writing, actor, and actress. Yep. From 91, Silence of the Lambs. This is going to be fun. Yes. Uh, I do a pretty good Buffalo Bill impression. I'm going to save it till next week. You but, better have clothes on and your winky not tucked between your legs when I get here, though, buddy. Yeah, but, uh, uh, goodbye Horses might be playing, though, so watch out. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I can't wait to talk about this. The acting, uh, this is Jonathan Demme. We've mm-hmm. never talked about him before. I can't wait to kind of share some things about him as well. Uh, this is a big film. I know this is a film well-regarded, introduced the world to Hannibal Lecter, and it's not even the first movie that had Hannibal Lecter. That was man. It was, we'll talk about Manhunter a little bit, too. Yeah. This is going to be huge. This is going to be huge. I got those Hannibal pops over there as well. Um, but this is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. And then the week after that, it's going to kick ass, too. So, yeah. yeah. Good cast. I'm glad we finally got around to this because there's just this is just particular genre just elicits a lot of just things to talk about thematically, mm-hmm. much like Hitchcock. Yeah, right. So uh, we'll see you all next week. I got to get going. I got to go uh, run some errands. I hope I don't commit one of the seven deadly sins while I do. Uh, I don't want John Doe to make mincemeat of me. No. Jesse, what's in this box at my feet? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Seven is property of New Line Cinema and Arnold Copelson Productions. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part.